You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Okay, so Solomon did all of these things that we've just read about, that's recorded for us here in chapter 2, to punish evildoers and to show that his kingdom would be built on justice. It was through these acts of justice that he assured the domestic peace of his kingdom. Listen, the people within the kingdom of Solomon knew exactly what the king expected of them. David's rise to the throne was a bumpy ride. It took many twists and turns. He was anointed king as a boy, but it wasn't until a few years later when he took the crown and sat on the throne. Solomon, on the other hand, made sure to make it clear to his people that he wouldn't be as easily shaken in the transition of power. As Pastor Mike will explain in today's message, Solomon started his reign with a heavy hand on justice. All the people knew where Solomon stood on justice in his kingdom. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Kings chapter 2 as he continues his message, Make Your Stand. Now, Solomon's actions against Adonijah and Abiathar filled Joab, let's go back to Joab now, remember David's general, filled him with terror. He figured his life was in danger. If he had dealt with these men and their conspiracies against uh, David and Solomon, he figured now his life was in danger because of his support of Adonijah. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 28 through 35. Then news came back to Joab, David's general, for Joab had defected to Adonijah in his attempt to take the throne, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. Now, this was an attempt on Joab's part to seek asylum. And back in the Old Testament, this was someone who may have been guilty of some kind of a crime or had gotten involved with some kind of a altercation with another person. And, and in that altercation, someone died. You know, before their case would have been tried, before the judges, they would flee to the tabernacle and they would hold on to the horns of the altar. That's the reference here in this text. And that's exactly what Joab did. He thought that, you know, he wouldn't be killed if he had fleed to the tabernacle, that holy 
place so he wouldn't be executed. So he's seeking asylum there in the uh, tabernacle. You know what's interesting about this? And this is like so many people today. You know, Joab was a man of war. And we've seen this throughout the books of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings now. You know, he didn't have any inclinations whatsoever concerning the things of God. You wouldn't refer to Joab as being someone who was spiritual. But, you know, when the chips were down, right, when things were out of control, when his back was up against the wall, when he was actually facing him being executed, all of a sudden he turns to God. And how human-like that is with so many people today, right? They, have, they don't have any inclination concerning the thing. They're not concerned about the things of God, but when things go haywire, immediately, what do they do, right? When all else fails them, when all of their resources have been exhausted, when all of the other doors have been shut in their faces, what do they do? They turn to God. And that's exactly what Joab is doing here in this text of Scripture. Well, anyway, verse 29. And King Solomon was told that Joab had fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he was by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down or kill him. Now, this is interesting. Because until a person was determined to be guilty of a fact, right, he could actually seek asylum there in the tabernacle. But that didn't excuse him if, in fact, he was guilty from being executed. But in Exodus chapter 21, in verse 4, when we have the law recorded there concerning seeking asylum in the, in the tabernacle, it's recorded for us in the book of Exodus in chapter 21. And in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 14, if the person was found guilty, notice it says, but if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor, in other words, if he was guilty, to kill him by treachery, you shall, before his case had been heard, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So Joab, going into the tabernacle, didn't prevent him from Solomon sending someone there to kill him right within the tabernacle of God. And so we then go on and read. Let's go back to our text now. In verse 32. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men. Remember those other two commanders that I had mentioned before that were a part of David's army. Two men more righteous and better than he, than better than Joab, and killed them with the sword. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. In other words, Joab killing these two individuals that are mentioned here, David was not behind that order of killing these two individuals. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, Joab, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place, 
as commander-in-chief over the army, one of the generals, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. Okay, so there we have the record of what's recorded first in verses 28 through 35. So now, after dealing with Joab, Solomon turns his attention to Shimei. And again, remember, all of what's recorded for us here has to do with justice. And Solomon ruling and reigning in justice over the nation of Israel. So, after dealing with Joab, Solomon now turns his attention to this fellow Shimei. He did so in a way that in one way did not necessitate Shimei's death. Okay, let's pick up now and expositionally treat the remainder of this chapter. Let's pick up in verse 36. Verse 36. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, build yourself a house in the city of Jerusalem. So obviously, Solomon again is dealing mercifully with Shimei and he's allowed to live out his days there in the city of Jerusalem. Build yourself a, a home within the city and dwell there and do not go out from there anywhere. So, you know, I, I guess Shimei is being put on house arrest. That would be the equivalent of it. For it shall be on the day you go out from the city and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. So don't disobey. And Shimei said to the king, your saying is good. He knew that he dealt with them in mercy. As my Lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years, I guess Shimei had forgotten the pledge that he had made, the promise, the oath that he had sworn to Solomon. So three years have now expired. That two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. Gath, remember, was one of the cities of the Philistines. And they told Shimei, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose. Remember, he was forbidden to leave Jerusalem. He saddled his donkey and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. Remember, Achish was one of the kings there in the cities. He ruled in that city. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you saying, know for certain that on the day you shall go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, you agreed, the word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandments that I gave you? The king said moreover to Shimei, you know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, cursing him, throwing rocks at him, claiming that he was responsible for Saul's death. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And so the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down 
and he died. Thus, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So, Solomon was just actually being true to his word. Okay, so Solomon did all of these things that we've just read about, that's recorded for us here in chapter 2, to punish evildoers and to show that his kingdom would be built on justice. It was through these acts of justice that he assured the domestic peace of his kingdom. Listen, the people within the kingdom of Solomon knew exactly what the king expected of them. You know, I wish to God that the people living in the United States of America knew what God expected of them. There would be a lot less crime that we would have to dealt with and miscarriages of justice. The people knew exactly what was expected of them. They were being ruled and reigned by the word of God. Don't you wish it would be just as simple as that in the United States of America today? You know, if we would just, you know, commit ourselves to be, being ruled by what is recorded for us in the Bible, our nation would be blessed. It would continue to be blessed. Well, anyway, now while Solomon executed Adonijah, Joab, and Shimei, he could not execute the evils that they represented. And that brings us to our third and our final point. So if you're taking notes, write that down. The evils that they represented. All three of these individuals represented a certain evil that even exists for us today. Not only in our United States of America and worldwide, but also within the church. These are evils that we have to deal with presently. You see, it's the same evils that are as much of a threat to the kingdom of Christ today. The church today, okay, let's go through them. Each one of these men, like for example, Adonijah, represents devious, subtle evil that comes cloaked in respectable and innocent language. For example, false teaching comes in the disguise of sweet reasonableness. You know, and and, and these fast talkers, these smooth talkers that have infiltrated the church, these false teachers that has always been with us right from the very beginning, right in the very first century church. A whole entire chapter of 2 Peter in chapter 2 deals with the subject of false teachers that had infiltrated the early church, the first century church, and the damnable heresies that they had brought into the church and the destructive effect that it had upon the church. And so Adonijah represents the same sort of thing. But listen, you know who was behind these false teachers back then and also present with us today? I can't even believe some of the people who claim to be teachers of the word of God and pastors of churches that are supposed to be Christians, I can't even believe some of the the teachings that they try to advance within the church today. Who's behind all of this? It's the devil, folks. You know, let me give you a cross-reference for this. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, or false teachers, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. They claim to be apostles of Christ. They claim to be sent of Christ and of God. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Notice it's the devil that's behind there teachings. Therefore, it is no great thing 
if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And so Adonijah represents the devious, subtle evil that comes cloaked in respectable and innocent language. And then we have Joab. And because Joab's sins were of such public and open nature, remember he killed these men openly and publicly, murdering his victims in the presence of others, he represents evil at the other end of the spectrum. Joab, that blatant evil, that scorns in its opposition to the things of God. And this type of evil often expresses itself in overt persecution of the church today. And then you have Shimei, and he may be said to represent sustained evil against the church, evil that never gives up or relents in its hatred of God's truth and his people. And so you have these three examples. Each one of these men represents certain evils that are in the world today that we have to deal with presently within the church. So what are we to do about these evils that exist? Well, listen, we're not Solomon. We don't possess kingly authority. We can't kill our enemies, although we would like to at times, wouldn't we? But rather, in fact, we are called to love and to pray for our enemies. But at the same time, we must rely upon the word of God to expose our enemies for whom they really are. We are to appeal to the word of God and the Holy Spirit to give us strength so that we might be able to endure and not be deceived by these individuals. Now, one last thought. Remember, and we talked about this in the introduction to this new book of the Bible that we've just only begin studying. And in the introductory message to that new study here in 1 Kings, I had mentioned that Jeremiah is writing, Jeremiah, according to Jewish tradition, many Bible teachers believe that this is true as well, that Jeremiah is actually the writer of First and Second Kings. So one last thought. Remember, Jeremiah is writing this book for the benefit of God's people who were presently had been defeated and were in exile in Babylon because they had turned their back upon God. And this was a part of God's judgment. They were carried off into the captivity there in Babylon. And so how does this description of Solomon's dealing with these men affect or instruct them? How does it serve them? Well, listen, for years their nation had been confronted with deceptive false teachings, open and unrelenting hostility to the things of God. And here's the real problem. And this is the reason why they were carried off into the captivity. None of them were willing to make a stand. Remember the title of this message. Here's the real problem. Few of them took a stand. Oh, God, help us. You know, the church is under attack today. We need to make a stand. That's the title of this message. We need to cry out against evil when evil raises its ugly head. And what was the result of them not taking that stand? 
they were carted off into the captivity. And therein lies the message of this chapter for us today. That's the relevancy of chapter 2 for us today. Bottom line, don't compromise. You know, a lot of these false teachings that have infiltrated the church today appeal to our fleshly desires. You know, it's sort of like a, an easy brand of Christianity. Listen, there's nothing easy about it. You know, Jesus never promised us an easy road. In fact, it's just the opposite. He said, you know, that we have to deny ourselves. We have to pick up our cross, and we have to follow Jesus. Jesus never enticed people to come and follow him by promising them an easy way. In fact, Jesus himself said, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lie down his head. Remember, going back to that original statement that I had made in one of my opening statements, it takes a real man, a real woman, to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, to obey God's commandments. That's the real man, that's the real woman. What's involved with that? Not compromising, making a stand for what is right. Don't tolerate evil. Make your stand or be carried off into captivity. Oh, that we would be as quick in slaying our arch rebels, these predominant sins that threaten our precious souls. Father, we live in evil days. The devil is very busy knowing that his time is short. Father, we know that your son Jesus is coming back soon for his church. All of the signs are all around us, everything that's going on. But Father, we do know that in the last day there would be wars and rumors of wars. And so, Lord, things are unfolding. Lord, things have fallen into place. And Lord, time is short. And the devil, I believe, knows that as well. And so he's stepping up, Lord, his attempts, Lord, to infiltrate the church. And, Lord, to advance evil, not only within the church, but throughout the world. Lord, help us to make that stand and not to compromise. Help us not to be seduced by these false teachings that are also within the church. Lord, help us to be real men and women. Lord, in obedience, and complete obedience to you. Now's not the time to mess around, thinking, oh, one day I'm going to get around to becoming a little bit more serious about my being a true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. We might not ever have another opportunity. You may come at any moment. Help us to be like those five virgins of the tent that had oil in their lamps and were ready and prepared to meet the bridegroom. Father, we thank you. Lord, strengthen us in our commitment, Lord, to follow you. Lord, open our eyes to see things as they really are. Father, we thank you. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Finizio. Pastor Mike has been making his way through the book of 1 Kings. And we've been talking about the building of the temple. The long, detailed descriptions can get overwhelming, but it has a lot to do with us today. If you think about it, 
Back then, the temple was where God's Spirit rested, but now His Spirit rests inside of each one of us. So when you see a description of the hundreds of decorative pomegranates, think about how your temple is decorated. Is it overflowing with the fruits of the Spirit? Pastor Mike comes to us from Harvest Christian Fellowship in Manhattan, and he would love to see you there in person. It's not hard to find. There is easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th in Midtown Manhattan. You can find service times on our website, harvestnyc.org. Once again, that website is harvestnyc.org. If you can't make it in person, you can always catch up with us online as we live stream our services on Sundays and Thursdays. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram as well. Speaking of connecting, are you looking for something to help you connect in your daily devotional time with God? Subscribe to our podcast. It's sure to spark some great discussions with the Lord. Well, we're so glad that you decided to spend your time here with us today. But all good things must come to an end, and we're running out of time. We'll be back, though. Come meet us here again in my Father's house. <laughs>